Uh, we are going through a rooted series right now, and if you're in your workbooks and you're following along, we're at week number nine. It's about evangelism, which Fellowship of Christian Athletes is really a lot about. A lot of uh, evangelism takes place just in their camaraderie and their hanging out, but also in reaching their school and their community for Jesus Christ. And so if you're following along in your rooted workbooks, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be a tough week because it's Thanksgiving. Thursday, right? And then Friday, some of you are going to do shopping. And Saturday, there's some kind of game going on or something or other. I don't know. And so it's going to be, you might be a little distracted this week. Get your five days of reading in. They're very powerful and very promising for what's going to happen uh, as you go into talking about what I'm going to hit on today. Um, with every season, there always comes certain scripture, right? Christmas time, you expect the pastor to get up and preach from Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 2. If it's Easter, you expect the pastor to get and preach from John chapter 20 about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today I'm talking about evangelism, about sharing the good news. So you're like, oh, so we're going to be in Matthew 28. Yeah, go make disciples. Nope. Oh, Matthew, maybe chapter 5, starting verse 13. Go and be salt and light. Nope. Um, this is where we're going to be. We're going to be in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 6. This is my go-to passage for Scripture. Matter of fact, I have probably have shared this at their huddle at one time a few years ago. Um, upperclassmen, seniors might remember it, maybe not. Um, some of you may remember I preached this maybe four or five years ago. Why? Because this is one of my favorite passages on evangelism. So here's the thing. As you're turning to 2 Kings chapter 6, if you're a student or a fan of ancient history, you understand that people fought and they fought often. There's always wars going on. People were, were being uh, obviously uh, brutal with one another, and, and, and in a war, a lot of lives are lost. And so kings started to get a little bit more creative and thinking, how can we stop losing so many warriors, but yet occupy that land over there that we want? So a couple of different things. Maybe they would take their champion, their best warrior, and fight against this other nation's best warrior. Whichever warrior won, that nation would uh, come out on top. We understand that story from David and Goliath. Another thing a nation would do, would maybe they would take their army and surround your city and just cut off all food supply, water supply, and create a famine until basically you would starve to death and wave the white flag and surrender. That's what we have here in this passage. Now, the setting in 2 Kings, some of you maybe remember, may remember back about four weeks ago, we were talking about spiritual warfare. And we said that if, if God were to remove the blinders off of our physical eyes and we could see what's going on around us spiritually, we would probably see angels and demons at war at all the time. Second Kings chapter 6 was that passage that I sort of pointed at. When Elisha's in the house with a servant, servant goes outside, he looks up and he sees all this Syrian army. And he's like, oh boy, we're dead. Hundreds, if not thousands of, of soldiers are surrounding him. He goes back in the house and he tells Elisha, Elisha, there's an army out there, we're surrounded. Elisha's like, no, we're good. He's like, no, we're not good. They, there's a lot of them. He goes, no, 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 they're outnumbered. By who, right? So he takes the servant outside and he prays that his eyes are open. And the servant looks and in the mountains he just sees massive amount, thousands of, of angels and warriors, right? And he's like, wow, so we're not alone. No. See, that, that was the passage we went to. That's at the beginning of this chapter. We stopped there. What I didn't tell you, what we didn't read on, was that 
Elisha goes out then to this, these Syrian raiders, these armies, and he goes to them, and they're like, we're coming for you. And he's like, Elisha prays, and they all go blind, all of them. Can you imagine? Hundreds, if not thousands of warriors, they're all blind. And he says, here, let me, let me take you to a safe place. He takes them right into the middle of Samaria, inside the walls. Now the Samarian army is surrounding them. And they all got their arrows and their spears pointed at them, right? And then Elisha prays, and their eyes are opened up. And they're like, we're toast, right? And the king is like, Elisha, should we kill him? Elisha's like, no, let's feed him. Sounds like a New Testament principle, right? Love your enemies. So they feed the army, they feed their opponent, and send them home. And it says in Scripture that the Syrian army is like, hey, we're going to leave these people alone, right? Not so fast. 2 Kings chapter 6, 24 says this, if you read with me, it says, Afterward, that's so after that event takes place, Benadad, the king of Syria, mustered his entire army, went up and he besieged Samaria. So he's like, you know what, I don't like what they just did. So he musters up this new army, a greater army, and he goes and he surrounds the city of Samaria. It says, and there was a great famine in Samaria, and they besieged it. Until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Oh, let me tell you right now, this is a nasty situation. Okay? King Benadav has, has the army surrounding Samaria. The people in Samaria, have, are, they're running out of food. They're running out of water. Life is getting pretty challenging for them. And we read here that, well, if you've got enough money, you can eat a donkey's head. If you don't have enough money, you get bird poop. That's what dove's dung is, okay? And listen, if you've only got 10 shekels of silver, it looks like you get two scoops, which causes me to think through this whole situation. Who's selling the bird poop? I mean, could you not just go out to your own roof and scrape it yourself? I don't know, maybe somebody's got a delicacy on it that we don't know about, I don't know. But it's like, basically what we're being told in Scripture here, it's a bad situation. People are eating gross stuff, right? And I know a lot of times we, we hear this at home as a parent. I, I remember hearing this, there's nothing in this house to eat. I'm starving, right? We go to the cupboards, open it up. Oh, no, not on the Frito chips. No, not on the Pringles. No, crackers. No, no, bread. No, 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 no. We don't have anything in the house to eat. I'm starving, right? Right? This is starving. Hmm, donkey head bird poop. I'm starving, okay? You know, I'm, I'm not eating any of that, right? This is a horrible situation. Let me hear you say that's a mess. That's a mess. It's a, it is a mess, right? Let's read on. Verse 26. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help me, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor, from the winepress? And the king asked her, What is your trouble? And she answered, This woman said to me, pointing at her friend, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we'll eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and we ate him. And the next day I said to her, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. This is where it gets really nasty. They have turned to cannibalism. I mean, you think through this whole scenario, this mother is frustrated. She's so mad. She just cooked her kid and ate him the day before, right? And what is she so upset about? Not that the fact that she had to eat her kid, but the fact that her friend won't share her kid to eat. This is, this is so messed up, right? Let me, let me hear you say it again. That's a mess. It is such a mess, right? So you sort of sit here thinking, okay, this is a mess. This is horrible. It's got to get better, right? This is the Bible. We just can't be stuck with bad news, bad news, bad news. There's got to be some good news, right? So here we go. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. 
This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a, a sea of the finest flour will sell for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel out at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord would open up the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? You'll see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. In other words, hey, Elisha, you're full of it. It ain't going to happen. Elisha's like, it's going to happen. You're not going to participate. That's the translation, okay? Meanwhile, reading on, it says, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. They said to one another, why are you sitting here? Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let's go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. So we're all familiar with leprosy, right? We, we understand reading through the scriptures. I mean, it was like it was, some people thought it was contagious. You would die from it. But we all know this for sure. It was a social killer. You were an outcast. You got leprosy? You are unclean. That's what they would call you. You're unclean. Can't go to the school, can't go to the temple, can't go to the synagogue, can't go to your home, can't go to your job. You were just isolated and put out. These four men had leprosy. They're outside the gate. Can't go in. You go in. No, nope, sorry. You've been outcast. You've been rejected. Okay? We all remember COVID. We all remember those, those two weeks locked in your house. And then you can start going outside, but just, you know, just carefully. I'll never forget, Jenny and I, we'd go for walks every day. We're walking down uh, on the sidewalk, and somebody's coming right at us. They literally went five feet off the sidewalk and said, unclean. I'm like, are you serious? This is biblical times, or what's going on here? And they were sort of joking, but it's like, that's what it feels like? I don't like that feeling. These men were rejected. They were pushed off to the side. They were left for dead, right? So as you're looking through this situation, they come up with this brilliant idea. We might as well just surrender to the Syrian army. We're going to die here. We can't go in there. Let's just go over the hills, surrender to this army that we can't see right now, but we know they're there, okay? And they kill us, they kill us. If they make us a servant or a slave, at least we're going to eat and drink and survive. That's the game plan. Let's look at Scripture happens. Verse 5. So they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight, abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and they fled for their lives. An amazing act of God takes place. He saves them. Now, remember back in 2 Kings 6, the beginning, God opened the eyes so they could see spiritual things, but then he closed the eyes of the Syrian army and blinded them. Now, now he's messing with their senses, isn't he? Eyes first, now they're hearing. They heard some kind of loud clatter. They thought they were being attacked. They couldn't see anything, but they heard such incredible chaotic noises. They ran for their lives. They left everything there. This huge army that, that surrounded the city for months, this was their home, basically. They left everything behind. So when these lepers come upon it, they're discovering an empty camp. No men, no soldiers, but there's food, there's clothing, there's animals. The fires are still lit. You know, it's like, this is awesome. This is incredible. We're going to live. Read what happens in verse 8. 
When these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent. They ate and they drank. They carried off silver, gold, clothing, and they went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it, and they went and hid them. It's like, this is awesome. Hey, try this. Eat this. Oh, yeah. Drink. Oh, yeah. Look at this silver gold. It's fine. Let's go hide it. This is awesome. They're getting excited. They're getting fired up because it's like they were dying. Now they're going to live. They were so poor. Now they're rich. It was like, this is incredible, right? But check out what happens, verse 9. They said to one another, it's like they stopped and they said, we're not doing right. This, this is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait till morning, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come on, let's go and tell the king's household. See, they were dying. They were surrounded. They had nothing. They were left for dead. And then they found food. They found water. They found all that they needed because God miraculously saved them. It's a turn of life, right? And here's the thing. They could keep it all to themselves. I mean, they deserved it, right? Hey, the city cast us out. They rejected us. It's all ours. But what did they say? This isn't right. We've got good news. We've got good news. We need to go back and share it with those people. Like, those people? Yeah, those people. The ones that rejected us. The ones that hate us. And they went back to the city. And so they got back to the city, they told him everything, and the people were like, we don't believe you. It's a trick. This is all a trick. They sent out a couple warriors in their chariots to check it out, and they discovered, you know what? It's true. It's, it's been abandoned. They went back and told the city, and the city just flooded out to go get what was promised. And I look at this story, and I think about this. We are living in a dark and messy world, aren't we? The world is spiritually dying. And we, we're like, as Christians, we're like the lepers. We, we've been social outcasts, often rejected, because you have faith, I don't want anything to do with you. It's, it's, it's fun and incredible to hear when you got 40, 50 students showing up at Fairview High School for FCA. Can I tell you, that's not like that at every school. Because at some schools around here, they're lucky to get five or six. You know why? Because you get made fun of if you go to FCA. You get made fun of if you go to Youth for Christ. You get made fun of if you go to a Bible study. You get made fun of if you go to church, right? It happens in different communities. When you're blessed to be part of something like that, don't take it for granted. It's an awesome thing. It's a great thing. And I think about this. We are like the lepers. Maybe we've been bullied. Maybe we've been rejected. But we've been saved by the grace of God. We've been given good news. And it's our responsibility, church, to take that good news and go out into where it is a mess and share the good news. I once heard someone say the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. The gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. Charles Spurgeon said this, Jesus did not come to save us that we might live unto ourselves. He came to save us from selfishness. Some, some people are like, I'm saved. I believe. I prayed that prayer. I'm a Christian now. It's all about my life, right? You didn't get saved just so you can have your own little personal Christian life and your own little holy huddle. You were saved so you can take this to a world that needs it. You were given the good news. The question is, 
maybe now while you're sitting there and while I'm standing here, it's like, well, why? Why should I share this message of hope? Why should I share the gospel? Well, we know in Scripture it's commanded, right? We're commanded to go. We're commanded to be witnesses. So we know this is something to do, but here, let's throw that aside, okay? But we know those who love God keep his commands, right? So we're going to keep those commands. We need to witness. But let's think a little bit deeper on this. Why share the good news? How about this? How, because we know what sin is like. We know how horrible sin is. Sin is, is not just doing the th- bad things that God said don't do. Sin separates us from God. Sin creates this chasm. Sin creates, I don't know, frustration, pain, anger, guilt. Sin causes a lot of things in our life. It robs us of peace. And what is the good news? What does the gospel do? It gives us peace. It gives us hope. And we know that for many people who struggle maybe with sins that we've struggled with, we know the answer. We know that there is hope. Why share the good news? How about this? Because it's good news. When you get good news, what's the first thing you do? You call somebody, you text somebody, you post it. You, you, know, you want people to know. You usually start with those you know closest to you. It's like, hey, you got to hear what happened. Hey, did you hear what happened? Hey, I want you to know about what happened. Think about it. If God is so great, why aren't we telling more people? If God is so powerful, why aren't we telling more people? If God is so awesome, why aren't we telling more people? We just sang all these wonderful songs. That's our worship to God. When we sing, we were worshiping God. But here's the thing. Are we telling other people about God? You sit there and say, well, I don't know if they're going to accept it. Listen, will others believe or accept the good news? That's on them. I just know what I'm supposed to do. In 2 Kings 6, Elisha was to blame, right? The king was mad at Elisha. This is Elisha's fault. Get him in here. He brings him in and Elisha's like, hey, tomorrow it's all going to be different. Tomorrow at this time, everything's going to be cheaper. And you'll be at the gates ready to get the food. And what did the one man that was leaning on the king's arm, the officer, say? He's like, it ain't going to happen. And Elijah says, it's going to happen, and you're not going to see it. And we read in Scripture that at that point in time, guess what? He rejected the good news, didn't he? That next day when the people went out to go see about this, all this food, all this good news, that officer was at the gate. And when the gate opened, the crowd of people ran out so hard, so fast, they ran right over, trampled him, and killed him. Elijah told him, It's going to happen, and you're not going to see it. Prophecy come true. Some people reject the good news, and it's not going to be a good ending. Some people accept the good news, and it'll be a great ending. Here's the thing. Again, it's not up to us to convince somebody. It's up to us to share the good news. I don't know how comfortable you are with sharing the good news. I don't know how bold you are. I don't know how confident you are. I'm sure we all have excuses. Like, for instance, you're probably sitting there right now saying, I would share with other people, but they're probably not open to this. They probably don't want to talk about it. Or you know what? Sharing the good news, sharing the gospel, being an evangelist, that's for the extroverts. I'm more of an introvert. That, that, that's for the person with the Bible uh, degree. I, I don't have a Bible degree. Oh, that's for the, the pastor or, or the person that's up front. That's their job. I'm not like that. Can I, can I share a piece of scripture with you? Romans 1, 16. You're all familiar with this verse, right? For I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. Check out the next part. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. You see, the, me- the message is where the power is, not in the messenger. The power is in the message. 
Here's another reason we might use. Uh, I might get made fun of. I might be rejected. Yeah, that might happen. Maybe that's why you don't like sharing your faith. Maybe, uh, maybe you fear that somebody's going to ask you something about the Bible you don't know. Because we all have that fear, right? Hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? Yeah, hey, I got a question about Jesus. Why? And then they ask you this question, and you're like, oh, I, I, I don't know. Bye. You know, we run off, right? Because we're, we're sort of like not sure what to say. You know, in those moments when you're not sure what to say, just look at them and say, hey, you know what? That's a great question. Can I get back with you on that one? Because I'd like to talk to you more about this. Because I've got, here's, I want to let you know right now, a lot of people have that little thing, that little shield that they use. It's their deflector. When somebody wants to talk about Jesus, they've got, they, they pull that out. It's like their little, um, I don't know, um, what's a uh, kryptonite for Superman, right? It's like, here's the kryptonite for the Christian. Boom, can't answer that question. Every non-believer's got one. Okay, and they will throw it your way to try to deflect you and keep you from sharing the gospel. It's going to happen. And when it happens, just back off. Say, hey, you know what? Great question. Let me get back with you on that. But can we keep this conversation going? Ask them. Uh, we might think some people will never want to be a Christian. How many thought Saul was ever going to give his life to Jesus, right? He's a murderer. Oh, but look, he became a, con- a convert. He gave his life to Jesus. He met Jesus, right? Name changed to Paul. I'm sure we have all different kinds of reasons Let's be honest, sharing our faith isn't the easiest thing to do for everybody. I get that. But there's some of us that are going to be sitting around a table maybe this week with some people that need to hear the gospel. And I know it might not be easy to share the good news with those people. But if you love them, you want them to know good news, right? God's serious about his people sharing his love and his grace and his truth with a world that is at a mess right now. Regardless of what they look like, how they act, God says, share the story. And he commissions us. He gives us his Holy Spirit that empowers us to speak truth and to be bold and to say what we need to say. So if I can sort of wrap this up, let me give you some some little tidbits, some, some ideas or some thoughts on how to share your faith. First of all, understand this. It is a journey. Okay, it's a journey. It isn't like this. Hey, um, I want to share some good news with you. Oh, good. What is it? God loves you. Oh, good. But sin separates you from God. Oh, no. But Jesus came to save you. Oh, good. You want to place your faith in Jesus? I can. Is there a prayer that I could pray right now? Yes, pray with me. Okay, amen. Yay. It's not that easy. And it's not that quick. Okay, it's a journey. I love this scripture in 1 Corinthians 3. It says this, I planted the seeds in your heart. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Some of you are planters. Some of you are waterers. Some of you are cultivating. Some of you are weeding, the, the, so to say, the crop. Here's the thing. What's important to know is that when it comes to knowing God during this whole, it is a process. It is a journey. And it is God who saves, not you or me. We're, we're just there to share the good news. We are there to maybe water the plant, right? This a part of a powerful process. Here's the second thing I want to challenge you with. Grow in your faith and live out your faith. You can't share your faith if you don't have faith. Can I say that? You, you can't share your faith if, you're, if your testimony is not a good testimony. I will never buy a sweeper from somebody with a dirty carpet. Okay? I will not ask financial help from somebody who is homeless or in debt. 
okay? I will not seek marital advice from somebody who's been divorced five times, okay? You follow what I'm saying? And I will not go to a Christian and ask them for spiritual help if they are lying, they're never in the Word, they're never praying, and, and they, just, they just live like a reckless life. I won't ask them for spiritual help, even if they call themselves a Christian. Be faithful to God first. Your sharing your faith only matters if you have faith. Here's the third thing. Work on sharing your story. Y'all have one. May not be dramatic. I was in a gang for five years, got shot twice, stabbed three times. I I carjacked uh, 20 cars. But I found Jesus. Okay, Uh, you may not have that kind of story, okay? Some of you like, I grew up in a church and I prayed a prayer. That's your story? Okay, awesome. But y'all have a story. And then this week in the Rooted Workbooks, if you've got them, um, it's going to talk about how to develop your story, how to write it down, how to share it. That's why I'm saying it is so powerful. Make sure you, you follow through with that this week. Here's the, the next thing. Be intentional. Be intentional. Do you have somebody you're praying for right now that you want to share your faith with? Listen, don't, don't manipulate relationships just to share Jesus with them. Um, many of you have heard this story before. But in college, I graduated uh, with a degree in Christian education. I had a secondary degree I was chasing after, but I was one class shy, so I never got my secondary degree in, in youth ministry. Okay, don't worry, I got my Christian education, but I didn't get my youth ministry. Here's the one class I didn't, I didn't pass or I didn't get, okay? Evangelism. He's up here telling us how to share our story, and he didn't even pass the class. I didn't take the class, okay? I'm going to tell you why. I t- Actually, I took the class, and I dropped the class. Why did I drop the evangelism class? Because part of my class project, a major part of my grade was this. I had to go out, find somebody who didn't know Jesus, share Jesus with them, journal down the whole story, lead them to Christ, and then turn that in at the end of the semester for my my grade. And I went to my professor and I said, I don't agree with this. I said, I share my faith because I'm supposed to share my faith. I don't share my faith to get a grade. I'm manipulating somebody into a relationship with Jesus so that I can get a grade. And the professor said, well, I don't really see it like that. I said, I see it like that. And he said, well, this is the way it's going to be in this class. And I said, then I guess I'm not taking the class. Well, that's my one class. I was shy. I never got my degree in youth ministry because of that class. But here's the thing. What if that would have been you? And you come across my paper, my 10-page paper, on how I was out there doing all this so I could get an A. You would probably take that 10-page paper and say, oh, I was your class project? Is that what faith is all about? Throw it away, right? Be intentional about sharing your faith. It's not for a grade. It's not to make somebody happy. It's not to say, well, Sunday I was told I need to do this. You share your faith because you've received good news. You have it and you need to give it away. It's like those men, those four lepers, right? This isn't right. We got good news. We need to take it back. So this morning, I don't know if I can deputize you. I don't know if I can like put you up here and do something. But I'm commissioning all of you. I'm encouraging all of you this morning. Don't wait for somebody to approach you. Pray now. Who can you share this good news with? Who can you share your faith with? Write down their name. Every Wednesday, you all know I drive to to Panera to pick up that that leftover bread for our food pantry. And there's somebody that works there. There's there's a gentleman, I'm not going to say his name out loud, only because we're online and I didn't ask his permission. But there's a young man I, I was meeting for years. 
trying to share my faith with. Now there's another person I'm trying to share my faith with. Get to know them, get to know their name. And they, this, last, this last Wednesday, they're like, hey, tell me about your church where you do, hand out this food. Oh, you just opened the church door. Thank you. And so as I'm praying, I mean, these are opportunities. So I, I, I got to be intentional, right? It, this is, you need to understand why I pastor and why I also work for FCA. See, I, I love pastoring because I get to shepherd. I get to worship with a bunch of people who love Jesus, right? It's incredible to come every Sunday and to worship with a family that loves God and throughout the week and so forth. But here's the thing about FCA. FCA, I get to go on ball fields and dugouts and playing fields, sometimes go into school hallways and work with people who have no idea who Jesus is. The only thing they know about Jesus, that's a good name to shout out down the hallway when you're mad at somebody, Right? I've been at football practices where I've heard the F-bomb drop so many times I have to go home and wash my ears. I mean, it's just like, wow, that was heavy today, right? But here's the thing. Those are opportunities for me to speak with people, to share with people, to develop relationship with people who don't know Jesus. That's why I love doing that job. It's really not a job. It's a pleasure. It's an opportunity. We represent his kingdom. We're ambassadors, and we have the privilege to share the love of God in a loving way with others. Let me, let me close with this last one. I love what in the book of Jude, what he wrote. There's some powerful scripture in Jude about who we are as, as a member of the bodies of Christ. But I'm going to skip past a couple of the scriptures to verse 22 where it says this. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. In the scripture, we hear the attitude of how we should have as Christians towards those who are perishing and going to hell. Listen, there's, there's eternity ahead of us, all of us, heaven or hell. We get to choose. God loves us so much, he doesn't want anyone to be separated from his presence. He wants us to be in his presence in eternity. And for those who reject that, it's, it's hell, it's fire. And I don't know if you've ever been around a campfire before and you drop something in that fire and you're like, um, you're like you try to snatch it out, you know, if it's not a big fire. If it's a big fire, it's like, oh, that stinks, right? But the attitude is this, like, oh, no. And you want to snatch it out and make sure, you, you know, you get it off, keep it from burning. That's the attitude we should have towards others in this world. People who are perishing and going to hell. Our attitude would be, i got to snatch them out of the fire. Again, we're not the ones doing the saving, but that's our attitude we should have towards sharing the gospel with other people. It is God who saves. We're just as ambassadors. We're as reps. We get to go out and like, let me tell you about them. And we pray that they want to know more. And we pray they want to surrender to Jesus. Worship team, would you come forward, please? You know, as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I thank God that I've been rescued. I, you know, going, I, could, I go back to thinking about when I was in my bedroom, my brother talked to me, my mom prayed with me. When I was at camp, the counselor uh, that worked spoke to me after the speaker spoke. I think of all these moments in life, how somebody was planting and watering, planting and watering, because God wanted to rescue me and save me. Why? So that I can share the good news with others. Why? So you can share the good news with others. I, I've, you know, I get to experience peace now. I get to experience joy. I get to experience love. I get to experience all these incredible things that God's promised me. And someday I will experience eternity in his presence. Until then, God has empowered me with his spirit to experience a lot of goodness. And not just the messy stuff in this world. I've got good news. I've been saved. I like those lepers, right? Church, you've got good news. You've been rescued. You've been saved. So I want to encourage you.
take that good news and go share it with somebody else. Would you, would you stand, please, and we'll pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who looked down on all creation and said, I, I want to have a relationship with you. You are my creation. I created you in my image. But God, unfortunately, sin has really messed that up. And this separated us from you. But Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us. To live a perfect life, to die on a cross, to resurrect from the dead, to come back to life, to save us from our sins, to save us from death. To give us an eternal hope now. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who resides in us and empowers us when we, when we surrender to you and we ask for forgiveness and we surrender to you, you give us forgiveness. You give us a new relationship with you and you give us your spirit to help us grow in that relationship. So thank you, God, for that. We've got good news. So Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that we have this good news. I thank you for everyone that's here this morning. I pray, Lord, and I don't know, but you know, God, who does and doesn't believe this. And if there's somebody in here that doesn't believe this, I pray this morning that they heard the good news and that they want to receive that good news. Right where they're standing right now. Lord, listen to their prayer. And God, for the rest of us who have the good news, Lord, may your spirit empower us and embolden us that as we leave this place, as we head into the holidays, one of the easiest times to share good news, help us to share the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we love you. We want to sing to you now. In the name we pray. Amen.